We are on Lord's Day 6, questions 16 through 19. Going to be addressing one of the more confusing and, could say, controversial topics in church history, understanding both the deity of Christ and his human nature, and how both of these are true, and how both of these work together. There have been a lot of false teachings that have come out of this misunderstanding. A lot of cults have been formed. A lot of heresy has been written. A lot of heresy that's been refuted. So it's an important subject here on Lord's Day 6, starting in question 16. Why must he, referring to Jesus, be a true and righteous man? The answer is he must be a true man because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sinned should pay for sin. He must be a righteous man because one who himself is a sinner cannot pay for others. So we see here in the answer is the exact same type of person who sinned is the exact same person who must redeem that sinner. So, 100% man. But he also must be righteous man because one himself as a sinner cannot pay for others. So what the question 16 is answering here is, he must be a man, but he must be a perfect man. So question 17, why must he, referring to Jesus, at the same time be true God? The answer is, he must be true God so that by the power of his divine nature, he may bear in his human nature the burden of God's wrath and might obtain for us and restore to us righteousness and life. So Jesus must be true God so that the power of his divine nature carries through and redeems the individual sinner. And it takes the burden of God's wrath. Question 18, who is that mediator who at the time is true God and a true and righteous man? And the answer, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Question 19, where do we know this? It's from the Holy Gospel, which God himself first revealed in paradise, later he had it proclaimed by the patriarchs and the prophets and foreshadowed by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law. Finally, he had it fulfilled through his son. So we see God proclaiming this in paradise. We see it in Genesis 3.15 with the promise of the gospel. Later, through the patriarchs and through the prophets, through the Old Testament, through the sacrificial system that we see in the Torah, and at the end, we see it through Christ as Hebrews 1.3 describes to us. So it's important to understand the dynamic between the deity of Christ and the humanity of Christ. How both are true and how they work together. Because 2 Corinthians 11.4 gives us this warning. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, that the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put it with, you put up with it readily enough. 
So what he's saying here is that there are other Jesuses, there are other Gospels, there are other spirits. And they're going to take advantage of this confusion that exists between the humanity and the divinity of Christ. And they're going to look to split, they're going to look to divide, they're going to look to confuse, to trip up the believer, to get them from fully understanding the importance of the divinity and the human nature of Christ. So, putting you to a quick test here, if someone came up to you and asked you the following, how would you respond? So, how would you respond to these questions? Somebody comes up and asks you, is Jesus God? Is Jesus a man? Is he still a man today? Where is Jesus today? Is he in heaven? Or is he omnipresent? Meaning everywhere at once. A question somebody might ask. I thought flesh and blood could not inherit the kingdom of God. If Jesus is in heaven, how so? Another question. Does Jesus have one nature or two natures? Does he just have a divine nature? Does he just have a human nature? Or does he have both? Was Jesus 50% man and 50% God? 25%, 25%, 75%, 75%, or 100%, 100%. Is Jesus just God or is he just man? Were his human nature and his divine nature ever mixed together? Meaning when he took on a human nature, already being God, did his divinity mix with the human nature? Or were they simply attached together without being mixed? Were there two people in Christ, a divine person and a human person? Or were there just one person with two natures? Did Jesus have one will or two wills? Did he have a human will, a divine will, or both? And the last question, is Jesus simply a lesser God than the Father? He's God, but he's a lesser God. Than the Father. So these are the questions that often get asked with people who have questions regarding the deity of Christ and the human nature of Christ. So important questions to ask regarding this topic is who is the biblical Jesus? Why does it matter? And why is it so significant that we have the correct understanding of who Jesus is? A lot of people might just sit back and say, well, aren't we just simply getting in the weeds here? Aren't we overanalyzing these texts and aren't we splitting hairs in the sense where this isn't necessary why is it so significant that we have the true understanding of who jesus is is this a salvation issue and i believe it is i believe if you take away from either one redemption is not possible if jesus is not fully god and if jesus is not fully man if he does not have these two natures in the one person who are attached together but not mixed, if there is any variation within that, then that means our salvation is at stake. So Lord's Day 6 focuses on the human and the humanity and the deity of Christ. So church history, especially the first 500 years after Christ, had many different heresies to fight regarding the true nature of Jesus. And what we're going to see is many of these are still active today. Was Jesus God? Was Jesus a man? Was he a little bit of both? 
Were his divine and human natures ever mixed? Did he have two wills? Were there two separate people? Many of those false views about Jesus continue till today, so these are important questions to answer. So understanding the true nature of Christ is crucial. Why is this important? Number one, if Jesus wasn't completely human like us, we could not be saved by his blood. He had to be exactly who we are. Jesus did not become an angel to redeem angels. He became a man to redeem mankind. He had both a body and a soul, just like we do, 100% man. Second, if Jesus was not completely God, then his death cannot save us. So the first one emphasizes his humanity. The second one, if he's not completely God, his death can't save us. We need a perfect Savior. Only God can forgive sin. This is why the virgin birth is so important, because Jesus took on a human nature. He was born a human being. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He is still completely God in human flesh. His human nature and his divine nature never mixed. They stayed united but separate and distinct. If they mixed, there would be a change to his divine nature, which is impossible. So his divine nature would be compromised if his human nature mixed with it. God doesn't change. Malachi 3.6 tells us, For I, the Lord, do not change. So his human nature could not mix with his divine nature if that were to take place. There would be a change in the deity, which is impossible to happen. So there's historic roots to this. Going back to the 4th century, the Arian heresy. The Arian heresy is what the Council of Nicaea was called to address in 325 AD. The Arian heresy is carried on today with what we know as the modern Jehovah Witness, which teaches Jesus as the Son was the first created being by the Father. Jesus is not co-eternal with the Father, because if the Father created him, Jesus can't be eternal. If the Father created Jesus, Jesus is a creation, not simply the creator. So this means the Son of God, if he's created, has not always existed, and it means Jesus is lesser than the Father. This is what Arianism teaches. It was refuted in the Council of Nicaea, 325 A.D., but it's also taught today as the Jehovah Witness goes door to door and introduces the Watchtower Tract and Bible Society. It has people join in their kingdom hall. This is the underlying understanding of who Jesus is to the Jehovah Witness. Now, the problem is Jesus is not fully God and Jesus is not eternal, according to Arius. Therefore, his death cannot save you. So we see the doctrine that Arius taught in the 4th century and the doctrine that the Jehovah's Witness hold to today is a matter of salvation. That's why this is so important. We cannot compromise here on this issue. Next, we have the Mormon who teaches Jesus is just one of many spirit children that God produced. Jesus is on his path to becoming a God by his good works, just like his father did before him. So there's a cycle in Mormonism. 
God creates spirit children, has his own planet. By his works, those spirit children can become gods themselves and have their own planet. So eventually Jesus will get his own planet, become the god of that planet, and produce spirit children just like his father did here on earth. So what would be the problem? There's many. But what would be the main problem here regarding salvation? Simply the fact that God is not one. We're not dealing with the one true God of the Bible. We're dealing with actually polytheism, many gods. So therefore, the God of Mormonism cannot save you. So we have a salvation issue here. The Sabellian heresy. Next, moving to this, the third century. Today we see this in the Oneness Pentecostal movement, the United Pentecostal Church, a Pentecostal denomination that teaches what Sabellius taught in the third century. What it teaches is God is not three persons who's comprised of one God. Rather, God is one God in one person. So the Trinitarian doctrine is one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Sabellian heresy teaches that God is one person, and he simply changes modes. He's God the Father in one mode. He's God the Son in another mode. And he's God the Holy Spirit in the third mode. It's one God, one person changing modes. This is why it is often referred to as modalism. Now, the problem is... Each person of the Trinity in the Bible has their specific role in redemption. The Father begets the Son. The Son is begotten. It is the Son who comes to earth and takes on human nature. The Spirit is sent from both the Father and the Son. He's known as the paraclete or the comforter. So each one of the persons in the Trinity has their own specific function in the role of redemption. Yet what we're seeing here in modalism is one God changing different modes. So the problem here is salvation because the functions of salvation in the redemption of mankind can't be fully brought to fruition because you need the three persons of the Godhead to do this. So if God is simply one person who changes modes, how can the plan of redemption be fully accomplished? This is why Sabellianism was classified as a heresy in the third century. Finally, what we see here today also are occult teachings of Jesus. You'll see these teachings in Hinduism. You'll see it in the New Age. You'll see it in Scientology. Christian science, all of those New Age occult religions were teach that Jesus was a combination of two higher beings. So the lesser being, the master Jesus, the greater spiritual being, being the cosmic Christ. Jesus was the man who was inhabited by a greater spiritual being referred to as the cosmic avatar, and this union created the spiritual man. So Jesus is a God the same way you and I are God. He just realized his potential. So we see all kinds of problems with this, but mainly just focusing on salvation. 
The problem is Jesus is simply a God like everybody else. And if he's just like everybody else, he cannot save you. He has to be the one supreme God. But according to Hinduism and New Age teaching, there is no one supreme personal God. They believe in pantheism. Everything is God. Nature is God. Every individual themselves is God. Thwarts the whole plan of salvation from a biblical perspective. So these are the historical roots that we see. There are also some first century, second century, third century heresies that are important to take a look at. As we see here is Ebionism. It denied the deity of Christ. Said that Jesus did not exist prior to his death. Therefore, he's not eternal. Jesus had the Holy Spirit only after his baptism. So why is Ebionism a heresy? Because if Jesus is not God, his death cannot redeem us. Next, we see Docetism. As Ebionism denied the deity of Christ, Docetism denied the humanity of Christ. Jesus simply appeared to be human. When he walked on the beach, he did not leave footprints because he wasn't material. His physical body was simply an illusion. He couldn't have a material body because matter, according to Docetism and Gnosticism, and even Hinduism, is evil. So Jesus couldn't have a physical body. He had to be only spirit. So the question, why is this a heresy? Because if Jesus was not fully human, nobody could be redeemed by his death. He didn't become like we are. Third heresy we see is what's known as Nestorianism, which teaches the Son of Man is one person and the Son of God is another person. So similar to what we just looked at with the Hinduism and the New Age understanding, you have two people like Siamese twins coming together. So what they teach is the divine Logos, or God, indwelt the person of Jesus, as opposed to the second person of the Trinity, which is Jesus, taking on a human nature. So the difference is Nestorian teaches that God indwelt the person of Jesus, where biblical Christianity teaches Jesus himself is the second person, God himself, who took on a human nature. So the question is, is why is this a heresy? It's a heresy because Jesus was one person with two natures. He wasn't two people with two natures. Nestorianism makes Christ a God-bearing man rather than the God-man. And that's the big difference. That's why this was considered a heresy. Fourth, we have Apollinarianism, which taught that Jesus was not completely human. Jesus had a human body and also a divine soul. So why is this a heresy? Because Jesus had both human body and soul. Apollinarianism teaches Jesus did not have a human soul. He had a divine soul. That would be the difference. His soul was divine. Human being souls are not divine. We have a human body and a human soul. So what Apollinarianism does is it makes Jesus half human, half divine, 50%, 50%. If Jesus is not fully human, again, he cannot redeem us. This is why Apollinarianism is a heresy, because it affects the salvation of mankind. Lastly, we see what's known as Eutychianism. Eutychius believed that there are two natures before the incarnation, both the human and the divine nature. But the two natures during the incarnation were mixed into one nature. 
So the human nature and the divine nature mixed together rather than being united but distinct and separate. Question is, why is this a heresy? Because there is a change within the deity of Christ. Like we saw in Malachi 3, God cannot change. If God changes, he denies himself. So the correct understanding is, while united, Christ's two natures are not mixed, changed, or confused. They remain distinct while united and retain their essential properties. The divine would not be divine unless it was divine, and the human would not be human unless it was human. Completely human. Completely divine. So what we see here is one person and two distinct natures. That's the biblical concept. Whatever is said of Christ, whether it be just his human nature or his divine nature, is said truly and really about his whole divine person. So in other words, if we say something about the humanity of Jesus, we are referring to the whole God-man, both as human and divine. If we say something about the divinity of Christ, we're saying something true about the whole person, the human and the divine. Now, it might be just talking about the one nature, but you can't separate the one nature from the other. They're both together. Even if you're simply referring to just his human nature or just his divine nature, regardless, when you say something about one or the other, you're saying about the whole person because it's united together, but not mixed. We see some of this. Let's back this up with Scripture. Which nature of Jesus is the Bible speaking of here in the following verses? His divine nature, his human nature, or both? So remember, if it's making a reference to one, it's about the whole person. But what nature specifically? So we see here, his human nature is talked about in Matthew 4, verse 2. And after fasting 40 days and nights, he was hungry. Matthew 8, 24. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. In John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept. These are pictures in the New Testament of the human nature of Jesus Christ. Now his divine nature. John eight fifty eight, when he says, Truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And what he's doing here is he's quoting Exodus three fourteen, the voice in the burning bush, which identified himself as the I am, referring to God. So Jesus in John 8, 58 is claiming to be the voice of the burning bush. John 20, 28, when doubting Thomas answered him, he said, My Lord and my God, Thomas recognized Jesus as being God. In John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus being God in a qualitative sense. Jesus is God the same way the Father is God, yet we have two distinct persons, but both co-equal in their deity. So sometimes we see the human nature being described, sometimes we see the divine nature, but there are other times where we see both mentioned in the same verse. Romans 9.5 says, To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, he's referring to the Jews here, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So what we see here are both the human nature of Jesus being in the Jewish line of Abraham 
and his deity being expressed in the same verse. Jesus was born a man in the Jewish line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus is also God over all, which was a title that the Jews used as the one supreme God who's known among the Jews. So we see here in Romans 9, 5, both the humanity and the deity of Christ being mentioned in the same verse. We see this again happening. John 5, 18. Actually, we'll back up to verse 17 and 18. Well, verse 17 says, But Jesus answered them, He's speaking to the Jews here. He's speaking to the Jews on the Sabbath. He says, my father is working until now, and I am working. Verse 18, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So what's going on here? Well, the context of this is the Sabbath. Jesus is saying that on the Sabbath, he and his father were working together. So how so? Well, somebody had to be running the universe on the Sabbath day. And according to Jewish tradition, it was okay that God did this. God could, therefore, God really couldn't rest because he had to run the universe. So when Jesus says on the Sabbath that he and his father are both working, he is saying, he is running the universe as well as the Father. He is also working on the Sabbath. He's also maintaining the universe, and this was a divine action. So this and calling God his Father are how he made himself out to be God. So the divinity of Christ is being seen through his statement of he's running the universe alongside with the Father on the Sabbath, and we also see the humanity of Jesus here, as he was also capable of death, as we see the Jews plotting to kill him. So John 5, 17 and 18 is another excellent example of both the humanity of Christ and the deity of Christ being expressed in the same verse. In another difficult text that we see, Matthew 24, 36, when Jesus says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. People are like, well, if Jesus is God, how does he not know something? And we realize that in his human nature, according to Hebrews 5.8, it says, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. We also notice that when Jesus was young growing up, he had to learn things. So because he was human, he had to learn. The day that Jesus is speaking of here, the second coming, nobody knows except the Father in heaven. What I believe he's saying here is in his human nature, Jesus does not know the day or the hour. When Jesus spoke these words, the answer had not yet been given to him. This is why I believe the verse regarding how Jesus could not know something is because he was speaking through his human nature, which was limited. Just like when Jesus was on the cross, he said he was thirsty. Just like after Matthew 4, being in the wilderness for 40 days and fasting, he was thirsty and hungry as well. It's speaking of his human nature. So Jesus is speaking as a man here in Matthew 24, 36. Now, of course, the divine nature of Christ would know the day or the hour, but not the human nature. So in summing this up, 
I think the Westminster Shorter Catechism really summarizes what we've been talking about here well in question 21 when it asks, who is the Redeemer of God's elect? And the answer is the only Redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who, being the eternal Son of God, became man, and so was, and continues to be, God and man, in two distinct natures, in one person, forever.